All right, so this morning we are in our final sermon in our series from Ezekiel. And out of all the sections that we've looked at over the last couple weeks, um, we're ending with arguably what is the most uh, famous passage in this book. It's the passage on the Valley of Dry Bones. So if you've been with us, you'll know that we've looked at a couple different things. Uh, We've had foreign imagery that was popped up in the book. The genre, the prophetic literature is here. The context, a lot of things are happening. And technically, there's a lot of things working in the passage itself. Um, But this week, as I was preparing, I felt very strongly that today, we needed to end our series by listening to this passage from a couple different vantage points. Right? So normally, when I'm preaching, I like to look at all those things we just listed, focus on those, and then from there, extrapolate out the sermon. This week, it struck me as we are in this last sermon of the series. Um, there's three audiences I want to be talking to this morning. And as we highlight these three audiences, I want you to think about this one question, okay? Which group do I find myself in, and how is God speaking to me? So we're going to look at three different audiences that this is meant for, and which group do I find myself in? How is God speaking to me? So is that clear? That's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at an angle from there and highlight which group resonates with me, which meets me where where I'm at. So with that, let's dive into the text, Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
My people, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is God's word. So, so much is happening in this text. Let's start by looking at the middle section from verse 7 to 10. If you're following along your outline, this is the first group, group 1. Now remember, as we imagine this scene, there's imagery here that is particularized for a specific context in the ancient Near East. So just if you were here last week, we looked at different imagery, how it plays out in our culture. Remember we said, if we were to happen upon a newspaper that had an elephant stomping on a donkey or a donkey kicking an elephant, immediately, many of us in this room think that's a political message. We get the imagery, right? That imagery works on us in that way. So we pull out political meaning from two animals. So what do you think the image of dry bones meant in relation to someone and their being in the ancient Near Eastern context? What do you think this image is trying to say? Dry bones. For many during this time, bones described the deepest, most essential trait of a human. So when everything is stripped away from your humanity, when everything decays, everything's left, or everything's gone, what is left? The bones. Bodies mattered, being embodied mattered. So in the West, we think intellect, mind, we have a prize on that, right? Je pense, donc je suis, I think, therefore I am. In the Hebraic worldview, in the ancient Near East, someone's bones were the core structure of a person. So think about when Jeremiah is prophesying and he says, this word of God is like fire in my bones. When we talk about Jeremiah, we think he's being a passionate prophet, right? He's got fire in his bones. He's passionate. He's passionate because he loves the Lord. And that's how we typically preach through Jeremiah. That's what the word of God is doing in him. He loves the Lord so much. But if we went and looked at that passage specifically where he says that, fire in my bones. Jeremiah is complaining. He's complaining to the Lord in that moment. And he's saying, your word, the things you're asking me to prophesy are affecting me to my very core. Right? They're, they're changing the structure of my bones. That's the fire. It's affecting me in that way. And so the word of the Lord is getting to the core of who he is. Not always, but fairly regularly in Scripture, references to bones are meant to convey the core of a human. Right? The skeleton, the frame that everything else hinges itself to. Bones are a way of referring to one's deepest self. And in the case of our bones, right, a way for the community to refer to its most essential self. 
So do you remember in Genesis 2, Adam meets Eve for the first time? And what does he say? He doesn't say, this is mind of my mind or soul of my soul. He doesn't say, this is flesh of my flesh. He doesn't say, here, creation, it's like me. He says, specifically, at last, this is bone of my bone. At last, someone who down to their very core is like me. This is what bones is meaning here in this passage. So with this in mind, when it came to people trying to express their deepest sense of hopelessness, of helplessness, oftentimes they would say something like, my bones are dried up. At my core, everything that's left when all this life passes away, even any life that were in those bones, it's gone. It's dried up. They're so helpless that there's not life left in the bones, even. And so, have you ever felt this way before? Do you feel this way right now? Have you ever felt depleted down to your very core? Are your bones dried up? Do you feel fractured this morning? Like there's nothing left. You've got nothing left. If this is you this morning, group one, I want you to pay close attention. There are times in our lives where we will feel this way, where we will feel like our bones are fractured, we're down to our very core, we feel broken. We feel helpless, we feel hopeless. And sure, some might want to focus on how you got there in the first place, right? Like, how are all these bones scattered in the valley? Why are these bones there? People might want to ask those kind of questions. But that's not the point of this passage at all. Like, in this moment, that's not the point. It's asking the wrong question. Instead, Hear the promise. Hear the reality of God's promise to the fractured, the dried up, and the discarded. Bone by bone, God is making the people in the valley whole. Bone by bone, the bones are coming together, they're rattling together. God is recreating bone by bone. Before the prophecy is even fully out of Ezekiel's lips, redemption is coming. The core of humanity is being remade. Here the house of Israel is being recreated. And dare I say for us this morning, this is God's word to you if you feel fractured. Bone by bone, God is putting your life back together. He's putting you back together. God is making you whole. God is recreating you. It may seem like nothing is happening right this instant, but bone by bone, they're rattling across the valley, coming along, coming together, and the very core, the very center, 
of who you are is coming together. God is in the process of remaking you right now. And this is good news. This is gospel. But let's also recognize that God's work in your life isn't just an aligning of your bones. Just like how in Genesis, the creation account tells us that God breathes the breath of life into humanity. This vision of the valley in Ezekiel is nothing less than a recreation of that scene. God's work in your life is not just a papering over with sinews, flesh, skin, all the things that we read in the passage. All those things are being made new. That is right. But even more so, God wants to infuse the new body with his breath, with his spirit. And so the play on words is really intricate in this passage. Nine verses, we see the word ruach in Hebrew. And that word in English we interpret as spirit, breath, and wind. It shows up nine times. If you wanted to, we could look at all the translational patterns. Like why some translations use these words in this time, all that stuff. We could go there. I think in some ways, though, we might lose the metaphorical force if we do that. Like, that's all good stuff. But here's, here's where we, where we want to land on it. Whether it appears in one instance as breath, another as wind, another as spirit across this passage. It is all the same life-giving force. And it all comes from God. And so this recreation that is happening in this scene is not just an aligning of bones, not just bones coming together. It is the infilling of God's spirit in the bones life, in your life. It is the presence of God's breath in you that gives you the ability to breathe. It's the presence of God's breath in you that gives you the ability to breathe. And this is the promise from this scene, that the fractured will be healed. Bone by bone, God is recreating. You may not know that yet. If anyone's broken a bone, setting a bone takes time. But the promise here is that God is at work in the lives of the fractured. And he's not just resetting bones. He's also breathing life into those bones. God's very spirit into those bones. God's very spirit into your life. And this is the nature of God's healing. This is a word for anyone who feels fractured this morning. Sit and receive that this morning. If that is you, God loves you. God is for you. And be reminded of this every time you breathe in and out. Healing is happening. But also, Ezekiel speaks to another group this morning. Group one, God is speaking to anyone who feels fractured. Group two, 
God is speaking to anyone who feels powerless, to anyone who feels landlocked, trapped where you're at. Right? You don't feel like, you don't necessarily need realignment, per se, but more so you feel like you're buried in life right now. Right? You feel kind of powerless. Can anyone here relate? If this is you, friends, hear the word of the Lord and listen to God's promise in verse 12. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. So notice how the imagery in this vision kind of changes. On the one hand, when Ezekiel sees all the bones in the valley, there's a sense of total destruction happening, right? All the bones are left out in the open. They didn't even have the dignity to be buried, right? They didn't receive that. They were just left out in the open, dry bones, fractured people. But now on the other hand, notice how in verse 12, we see I will open your graves. I will raise you from your graves. You are my people. It's a little odd, right? On the one hand, the bones are said to be left in an open valley with no grave. On the other hand, God says, I will raise you from the grave. Bethany, hear God's word this morning. Just like Jesus in the resurrection had to have his body healed. The constraints of the tomb, the grave that he had been placed in, also had to be rolled wide open. So God heals the fractured, but God also sets the captives free. God heals the fractured, but also sets captives free. So it's like the old hymn by Sister Rosetta Tharp when she so eloquently and beautifully says, Ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. Just as God promises in this passage, God's healing isn't just the setting of bones. Again, it is that, but it's more. God's work is also the opening of the grave. It's the breaking open of the ossuaries, the thing that hold the bones that keep us from realizing and participating in the fullness of God's life. So in this passage, there's a twofold healing. Group one, God is healing the fractured. Group two, God is setting free the powerless. Now, when it comes to freedom, when it comes to the question, When will God set us free? It is common that we hear and say things like this. Don't worry, it's all in God's timing. Don't worry, God has a plan. It's all good. God is in control. But don't be fooled, friends. This is not freedom. This is not liberation. 
This is not a good way to talk about us, the world around us, and God, and the relationship between all three. This is going to sound shocking. This is going to sound scandalous. But God is not in control. God is sovereign, yes, but God is not in control. So listen to the words of theologian Chris Green. Sovereignty is something completely other than control. Control makes something act in ways that are false to itself, right? It, it overpowers. It masters. Control coerces. Control takes away freedom, forcing someone or something to do what is against its own nature or will. But God, as our creator, doesn't do that. God gives being to creatures, affording them the freedom and their integrity. So to say that God is sovereign is to say that God does not need control to get his will done. He doesn't have to destroy our freedom to express his own. He doesn't need to overpower us or conquer us to make himself known. God's sovereignty is such that his freedom is not at odds with our freedom. And God frees and empowers us to fulfill life with him. So creatures overpower. God reigns. And that reign, what that looks like, is God's love. Do you hear what we mean when we talk about being free from the grave? There's a way of talking about freedom that makes it a false kind of freedom. We're free, but we're not really free. Like, you're free to do whatever you want. I'm just going to exercise some control so that you do what I want you to do. But remember, you're free. It's nonsense. Does anyone remember the games SimCity or um, The Sims? Any of those ones? See some nods? See some hands? Maybe it's still popular. I don't know, per se. Uh, So these are games where you get to create and manage. You get to control the parameters of a life or a civilization. And I used to love these games. Even more so, I was a big fan of Roller Coaster Tycoon. Anyone? Yeah, Kelly, that's what's up. Okay. That game was the best, y'all. It was so good. You get to build theme parks, okay? And you get to choose from all these rides and all that stuff. I don't actually love theme parks in person. The game? Sure, it's cool. So, my favorite ride was the loop-de-loop. It goes like this, stops, then it goes in reverse. It's a game changer, okay? And it attracts a lot of people in the game. And so I'd build a bunch of these theme parks, and then I'd slowly crank up the speed on these roller coasters, and then the brakes would give out, and I'd try and land them on the separate track. I, my parks always got shut down because of safety <laughs> violations. I was terrible at the game, okay? Not good. If you play the game, don't do that. That's how you lose. Um, But in many ways, there's a tendency to think that God interacts in our lives 
exactly like this. Like God is in control. Everything's happening for a reason. We're all just characters in a video game. And God interacts with us by pointing and clicking. And the world is a big map, so God's attention is focused on other characters in other areas most of the time. God is busy clicking away elsewhere. But if I pray really hard, if I'm really good, or if I go the opposite, if I live however I want, I go really bad, I might just get God's attention. And then God's going to turn his attention to me and click and make things click in my life because God's got this. God's in control. Friends, God is sovereign. God is not in control. If he was in control, our freedom wouldn't really be freedom. We wouldn't be truly free. God is not playing a video game, and God does not have only one mouse with one cursor, with a couple selections of options that he can make us do. God is infinitely more creative. And his attention is infinitely more broad than the area around a mouse or a cursor. God is sovereign, and we are free. And this is a huge distinction. Control and sovereignty are not the same thing. Do you know why the prophets and the earliest Christians always prayed, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It is because this is a prayer that invites God in God's sovereignty to act in a world that's been given freedom to shape and live. This is the freedom that God wants for us this morning, Bethany. A faithful understanding of what God's freedom actually means for us. An understanding that life with God is not the life of a puppet strung by God's hand. We think God's sovereignty is the same as control because if we were God, we would show lordship by overpowering others. I mean, this is the same story that we've seen play out over and over and over again in history since the beginning of time. Control of others means overpowering. You might have heard the quote, the loudest authors of history are typically the biggest winners of wars. But God isn't like this, and God isn't like this in this way. God's lordship doesn't overpower us. Instead, it frees and empowers us with the agency to be full participants in the work and life of God. It frees us and empowers us with the agency to be full participants in the work and life of God. God is sovereign. God is not in control. And so God's power isn't a bigger version of our power, right? God's power is such that in God's freedom, he gives us agency to willingly and willfully participate in the life and work of God 
that aims to bring heaven to earth. And so this is why in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the freedom God wants us to discover. That as people filled with God's Spirit, we are free to participate in the work and life of God. So is this making sense? Group one, God is speaking to anyone who feels fractured. Group two, God is speaking to anyone who feels powerless. And as God promises to break open the graves of his people, this breaking open allows us to grasp and understand what true freedom is. Thinking that God is in control is fake freedom. It's an illusion. Control and sovereignty are two different things. When we come to understand that God's sovereign, and sovereignty is not the same as control, then we will begin to live in the freedom of God. So to anyone who feels powerless, God is not in control of your life. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Because the course of your life isn't set in stone. The evil that you've experienced does not define you. Like, there's a lot more that could be said on this point exactly here. We're not going to get to all of it today. But God has empowered you with agency and ability, and capability to choose to embody and share in the fullness of God's life. And so God is sovereign. God is not in control. And that is a word of freedom. Because in the freedom of God's sovereignty, you are invited to participate in the very life of God through acts as small as breathing, and through acts as big as forgiving. You may think that breathing is small and insignificant, but if you feel powerless this morning, start there. Start with grasping the magnitude of your breath. Breathing is the first act that these bones in the valley do once they're filled with God's breath. And as you're able to participate in the life of God in tasks as small as that, you will find other ways to participate with God in the redemption of a world and a reality that's not yet made whole, but is in the process of being made whole. Ezekiel 37 is good news to the fractured, and it is good news to the powerless. God is setting the powerless free and breaking the grip of the grave on our lives. But perhaps you've been engaging our sermon this morning and you haven't really identified with being fractured or powerless. Like, that's cool. Those are good things. But in some ways, let me come clean with you this morning and say that this next group 
is where I can tend to find myself in many days. So maybe this morning you don't identify with the bones at all, right? Like you don't walk away from this text with a new perspective on what having fractured bones reconnected and being made whole means. Like, that's good stuff. It doesn't really meet me where I'm at in my life right now. Or you don't easily connect with the sense of feeling trapped and powerless by the grave and then discovering freedom in God's sovereignty. That doesn't connect with where you're at exactly. Again, it's good stuff, but it's not the word for me this morning doesn't meet me where I'm at. Perhaps, friend, like me, in your present moment, you identify most with Ezekiel. This prophet who we've looked at over the last five weeks. And when you're looking at him, you're struck by his existential self-doubt. Like, you can see God healing the fractured. You understand God's freedom for the powerless. But when you read Ezekiel here, you identify with a presentation of Ezekiel that's characterized by hopelessness. You see, Ezekiel embody hopelessness. And that's where you see yourself in this text this morning. Notice how this chapter starts. Ezekiel is set in the middle of a valley of death and destruction. And then, as if that isn't bad enough, he's led by God around, seeing and experiencing and surrounded by a scene of complete destruction. And his heart is broken. All seems lost. And then verse 3, God says to him, Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? And there's so many ways to read Ezekiel's response here. My guess is that for most of us, we've typically read Ezekiel's response as a statement of faith, right? It's triumphal. Oh, Lord God, you know. You're the Lord, you know. He's assured in his response. There's, there's certainty in his, in his response. That's a fair reading. But consider how all this changes if Ezekiel's response is more like this. Oh, Lord God, you know. A little cynical, right? What if it's like this? Oh, Lord God, you know. A little disinterested. Well, what about this? Oh, Lord God, you know. Hopeless and disappointed in the destruction around him. The beauty of Scripture The beauty of this passage is that it doesn't clear up how Ezekiel speaks. We don't have a prescription of the intent. 
There's ambiguity in his response. And that forces us to make judgments and interpretations. And as we do so, we're made more like God, going through the process of reading the Bible as it reads us. And in this way, today, the passage calls out to us in group three, those who feel hopeless. God asks the prophet if the bones can come alive, to which he feebly answers. Oh, Lord God, you know. Only you know that. My hope is that you, they will. My hope is that they do. But from where I'm sitting right now, all I can say is, ball's in your court. You know. But you know what happens next? We might expect God to say, Ezekiel, you're a prophet. Make pronouncements. Be sure of yourself. Do your job. People are counting on you. But God responds... And even though he hears Ezekiel's response, he still includes Ezekiel in the act of bringing the bones back to life. Even though he can hear Ezekiel's fears, his doubts, his reservations, his despair, his hopelessness, God still calls Ezekiel and he says, prophesy. Prophesy, Ezekiel. Join me in bringing this valley back to life. You are still my prophet, and I am still your God. In in this text, God uses the human, doubting, hopeless prophet to bring about the restoration of this valley. And guess what, Bethany? God wants to use you in the exact same way. God wants to use you in the exact same way. Are you hopeless? Are you tired? Are you full of doubts? Do you have your reservations? God is not surprised by this. God's not shamed by this. We know that verse, God knows you better than you know yourself, right? God does that. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he still calls you. He still calls you, even though he knows you better than you know yourself. In fact, because God knows you better than you know yourself, because he knows each of us better than we know ourselves, God's calling out our true selves. So because God knows us better than we know ourselves, God is able to see the image and character of God in our lives in ways that we can't see for ourselves. And he calls that out from there. And this is what God wants to say to us this morning. Group three, if you feel hopeless. I hear you. 
I see you, I know you, and I have called you. You are enough. You are my child, and I will not leave you nor forsake you. So prophesy. You feel this way? Prophesy. Join me in the work. The word prophesy, foretell, right? Bring about God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven with Christ by the power of the Spirit, by speaking. Join me in a new Genesis. Notice that in verse 7, the bones start coming together. Before Ezekiel is even done speaking, he prophesies, and before he's done, bones start connecting. Things start happening. As he's prophesying, God's redemption is already taking shape in the valley of dry bones. And so this is for you, group three, if you are here, friends, hear this. No matter what you do, no matter how far away you feel you are from God, you might wake up tomorrow and be like, all this stuff that I've learned my whole life, I don't know if it can be trusted. God's not surprised by that. And God's not ashamed of that. Because he's calling out your true self. He still calls you. A church father has said it this way. God proposes himself. He does not impose himself. God proposes himself. He does not impose himself. He illumines. He does not blind. He is light and his light shines forth with a humble love. This is the God that we serve. And this is what God has for us today as we close our series. To the fractured, be made whole. To the powerless, discover God's freedom. To the hopeless, receive God's grace. So as the band comes up and we look to close, which group do you find yourself in this morning? And how is God speaking to you? It's the question we started with at the very beginning of the day. Which group do you find yourself in? And how is God speaking to you? We're going to close in prayer and reflection. We'll have um, Joni over there willing and ready to pray with you and for you and by you if you so desire. But in this moment, which group do you find yourself in? My cards are on the table. I told you during the thing where... I can tend to find myself. And God has met me and reaffirmed me. And still, as your pastor, I feel the same thing sometimes. If that doesn't give you license to say, I'm in group three, or I'm in group two, or I'm in group one, then nothing else will. But 
You have license, y'all. Like, we are a real community here, okay? There is license to just be. Because in our being, we are gifts to others. Showcasing that God can work in this community, in this body. That God wants to do that work. And it doesn't happen without our participation. And so friends, we're going to sing, pray, seek the Lord, obey the Lord, and come to know the name, the God who calls you by your true name. Meet that God today. He's here and he's ready and he wants to meet with you. Let me pray for us and then we'll Sing and reflect in prayer. Lord, we are humbled by your goodness. And we look around us and we at times feel like that valley of dry bones is one that includes us. That we find ourselves there. And Lord, we know you are able, but we ask, come quickly. For anyone who feels fractured this morning, powerless, hopeless, be near to us. May your spirit comfort us. And may it show us ways that are working, that you're working in our lives. Propose because we know that you don't impose. And so, God, we pray this with Christ by the power of the Spirit. Amen.